Once again. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, for Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thunder glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thunder glory. Revive us again. On a third now. All glory and praise to the Lamb that was slain, who has borne all our sins and has cleansed every stain. Hallelujah, thunder glory. Hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, thunder glory. Let's take a few moments in fellowship. Get out of your seat. Shake hands of our visitors. Let them know how glad we are.
on the last verse together. Revive us again, fill each heart with thy love, may each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Hallelujah, the glory, hallelujah, amen. Hallelujah, the glory, revive us again. That's a good song to sing on Wednesday night, isn't it? Amen. Revive us. Uh, we rarely ever sing that song except in revivals. But I'm going to tell you something. We need revival every day of our lives. And uh, even here tonight. Our prayer is that we'll be able to raise an Ebenezer stone here in the days to come where God has paid us a marvelous visit. Are you glad to be here tonight? Say amen. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless tonight in the service. And We'll continue to sing in a moment. Father, we do thank you for the hope that we have of a special visit from you, a revival. And so, Lord, as we come to you tonight, we ask you to, uh, Lord, put that into our hearts and work it into our hearts and give birth uh, of it in our lives. Lord, we know that revival comes from you and, and that it is a sovereign act of God. But we ask you, Lord, that you put it into our hearts because we know, Lord, if you put it into our hearts, uh, then you'll put it into our lives. So we ask you, Lord, to revive us. Bless the service tonight. Honor Jesus in everything we say and do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to sing. Page 468 in the sweet by and by. There's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith we can see it apart For the Father waits over the way To prepare us a dwelling place there In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that beautiful shore In the sweet by and by We shall meet on that second now we shall sing on that beautiful shore the melodious songs of the blessed and our spirit shall sorrow no more not a sigh for the blessing of rest in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. To our bountiful Father above, we will offer you to praise for the glorious gift of his love and the blessings that hallow our days in the sweet by and by. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. On the course again. We, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. 
Thank you. You may be seated. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. Good to have those that are visiting with us and some that are back. And we're glad to see you here tonight. We're glad that all of you are here. Let's remember now all the things that are going on. Let's remember the Awana next door. Let's remember the teenagers in their service. Last Wednesday night, Terry was sharing with me, they had 72 teenagers back there. Isn't that great? 72 teenagers in their midweek service. So that's a, that's a gob of kids. A gob, that's Hebrew for a large group. You know what, you know what I mean? But uh, 72, that's, that's exciting. I praise the Lord for that. And uh, let's pray. And you give now. And everything you give on Wednesday night now goes in support of the Bible conference. So it's uh, about a year away, but got a lot to get ready for. So you give. Father, thank you for the privilege of being able to give. Bless our giving now tonight and as well in the days and months to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I can still remember when I was a teenager. I know the guys in the group don't think, think I can remember that far back. But uh, I remember the time when I was in a little church in, uh, near Charleston, South Carolina called Hanahan Baptist Church. Uh, it was probably, I guess, about a third this size. And um, I heard the gospel and received Christ as my Savior. And I still remember on the side of the wall over here, Pastor, there was a, a saying that they had up on the wall. It said, Building Boys is better than mending men and uh, i'm so thankful we have a church where the church loves our young people and uh, provides something for them i'm thankful for our pastor and for brother terry uh, i love them dearly <clears throat> and so thankful the lord has put them here and put me here and uh, i just love the young men that i get to sing with uh, week in and week out but i remember the time i got saved that the lord gave me a, a broken heart because of my sin and uh, we need to have a broken heart because of our nation and a broken heart because our, our loved ones and our next door neighbors are lost. And I'm so thankful for the um, faith team and for what's being accomplished there. And uh, um, I even pray the Lord might send somebody from the faith team next time they start it again and ask me if I'd like to be a part of it. Um, that's not a, that's, that's not a, a plug, but I, I've thought about it and prayed about it, and I just thank the Lord for this church and for the ministry of this church. And uh, this song I, I've sung a couple times, and it kind of tells my testimony about uh, the Lord and, and my salvation and my walk for Him. And just pray, we ought to pray, even tonight, Lord, give me that spirit of brokenness like I had just before I got saved. Amen. 
remember the night so long ago, the first time I called your name, empty and broken, ashamed of my sin. I ask if the sinner you'd save. But the cares of this life have darkened the light, and I feel like I'm drifting away, so break me, mold me, cleanse me, then hold me, I want to be near you today. Oh, my 
Let's take our Bibles and be finding Romans chapter 12 and also Psalm 119. Romans chapter 12 and Psalm 119. You know, I believe this all my heart. I believe that there's, that every person in this room tonight, God can use you. And I believe that God wants to use you. And you say, I I don't know about that. I, I don't think I can be used of God. I want you to know that you can be used of God. Just like Joe sung, there was a key to what he sung a moment ago, it is just being a broken and a willing vessel. If you want to be used and you are willing to be used, God will use you. Now, isn't that wonderful? To think about the fact that God can take me, little old me, and do something in my life, do something in all of our lives. We just want to be willing and let the Lord do something in our life. problem is uh, many folks are not willing and they have no desire to be used of God. But I don't care who you are. I don't care what kind of life you've lived and you come to God and whatever and give Him your life and willing to let Him use you. God can use you. And that's the thrilling thing about the goodness of the Lord, a willing vessel. had a unique privilege. He thought about it when he was singing. A unique privilege the first part of the week, Monday and Tuesday. And I was invited by Pensacola College in Pensacola, Florida, Pensacola Christian College to come down and spend a couple of days. And, uh, of course, they give me the grand treatment, the royal treatment. I told Sherry, I said, they were whining and dining me down here and whatever. And she said, oh, I'm home eating bologna sandwiches and whatever. But uh, uh, they did. And it was a unique, uh, unique privilege. And, of course, uh, to meet so many of the faculty and, of course, Dr. Horton and uh, uh, Pastor Stetler there at the campus church and different things like that. But, uh, I never met Dr. Horton before, and it's an amazing thing what God has done it, it, in Pensacola since 1974, and where God has brought them to today. It just—it's overwhelming. It's just mind-boggling what the Lord has done. But uh, Dr. Horton is a very down-to-earth guy, not even a preacher. He started a little Christian school with 30-some his first year, 1954, I believe it was. And uh, his goal was, Lord, one day let us have a hundred. That's what he prayed for. Lord, let us have a hundred. And, but he's a real down-to-earth kind of fellow, real soft-spoken kind of fellow, not a very forward-type fellow and whatever. But uh, we're eating on Friday night, or rather on Monday night, and the uh, Windsor dining room had a special meal for us and whatever like that. And uh, someone asked him if he ever foresaw what God was doing and said, did you ever see this coming to pass? And he began to tell the story how that he, his prayer was, God, let us have a hundred one day. That was his life goal. If we can have a hundred, that would be exciting. Well, that was in a little Christian school they started. They have 2,500 students in the Christian school and have a complex over there. It looks like Hamlin Place Mall. 
uh, for the uh, Christian school. And then, of course, the college have over 4,500 students in there this semester and uh, whatever. But uh, he made a statement that really touched my heart. And I don't think I'll ever forget this statement. He said, no, I did. He said, I wanted 100 and prayed for 100. But he said, I had no idea that God would do all this. He said, me and my wife said, we simply got on our knees and said, Lord, give me a vision of what you can do through me. And I, I, that really got a hold of my heart. And I thought about, Lord, just give me a vision of what you can do through my life. And every person in this room tonight, if, if we were come for God and just say, God, give us a vision for what you can do through us. Uh, it'd be amazing what the Lord could do in our lives. You believe that tonight? The Lord can. Well, we've been thinking about presenting our bodies to the Lord. Let's stand as we honor the reading of the, of the Word of God. Romans 12, verse 1, has been the basis of everything we've looked at. And uh, then we've been taking different thoughts. We've thought about giving God our hands and giving God our feet. Tonight I want us to think about giving God our eyes, giving the Lord our eyes. Look at Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And notice what he asks us to do, to present our bodies. Now, we thought about the body and what the Bible has to say about the body, and it has much to say about our bodies and the Christian life. But we're to give our bodies to the Lord. We saw in our first study that this matter of giving our bodies is a moment in our life, a moment in which there is this act of giving God our body. In other words, there's to be a time in your life where you're to come to God and you're to give God your body. In so doing, we have also saw that when we give God our body, it means that we're going to give God our hands, we're going to give God our feet, we're going to give God, as we'll look at tonight, our eyes. We'll give Him our heart. All many different things the Bible talks about. And so it's giving the members of our body to the Lord as well. Now look in Psalm 119 and notice verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18. Psalm 119 and verse 18. Again, tonight we're going to think about giving God our eyes. Verse 18, the Bible said... Open thou mine eyes, that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Now, he tells us in Romans 12, 1, to give him our bodies. Psalm 119, verse 18, speaks of our eyes being open, that we might behold wondrous things from the Word of God. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And tonight, let's think about the matter of presenting our eyes to the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, tonight in Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being able to come to you. And we do ask you, Lord, tonight for everybody in this room to give us a vision of what you can do through us. And Father, help us to be a broken and a willing servant. For Lord, we know tonight, as it is so often been said, that it is not ability tonight that you are interested in, it is availability. And so, Father, we may not have a lot of ability to give to you, but we can be available to you. And so we come tonight to give you our bodies. And in so doing, Lord, we want to give you our hands as we have considered. 
We want to give you our feet, but Lord, tonight we also want to present to you our eyes. So Lord, tonight as we look at the scriptures, speak to us now, and we'll thank you and praise you for it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things, amen. Thinking about eyes, I read somewhere one time that the average person blinks 25 times a minute. Every minute you blink 25 times. Somebody else, someone else came along and figured this up. That if you were to take a 10-hour drive, driving at 40 miles per hour, you would drive in the course of that 10-hour drive 20 miles with your eyes shut. I believe I meet several of those on the road every day, amen? I don't know about that, but I will say this. Eyes are very important. I think about a fellow that I read about. He's a bishop of an early church, and he had a remarkable testimony for just the spirit about him. He was a man that was just marked by contentment. Nothing seemed to bother him. Nothing seemed to disturb him. And someone asked him one time, said, what is the secret of your contentment? And this was his answer. He said, it consists in nothing more than making a right use of my eyes. And he went on to describe that he was always looking up and having the right attitude about life, looking around and putting life in the proper uh, place and whatever like that. But he said, it's because of the right use of my eyes. Well, I want to say to you tonight again, repeat, that when it comes to this matter of serving God, there is to be the presenting of our bodies and involved in presenting our bodies is giving our eyes to the Lord. You might say that one of the secrets of the Christian life, like the old bishop, is making the right use of our eyes. Now, again, I've already stated we considered the matter of hands and we're to give our hands to the Lord. And we thought about the matter of feet last Wednesday night, and we're to give our feet to the Lord. But tonight, let's think about the matter of eyes and giving our eyes to the Lord. Now again, if you were to take just like we thought about hands and feet and look eyes up in the concordance, you would find there are numbers of references to eyes in the Bible. And obviously, we don't have time to look at all of them, but I want to just point at three of them tonight that I think we can draw three very good lessons from and remind us of how we're to give our eyes to the Lord. We'll come back to the text that we open up with, but first let's begin in Psalm 101. In Psalm 101, I want you to notice verse 3. And the first thing that I want us to consider, or the first thing about eyes, is what I want to call disciplined eyes. Disciplined eyes. Look in Psalm 101 and notice verse 3. Three. Now, here's an interesting verse. We'll try to break it down tonight and consider what he's saying. But in Psalm 101, verse 3, the psalmist said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. He said in the latter part of verse 3, I hate the work of them that turn aside, it shall not cleave unto me. Now, the psalmist here in Psalm 101 and verse 3 is speaking about how that he had made certain decisions and certain determinations in his life and about his life. Really, Psalm 101 is David's psalm about what he wants for his kingdom. It is a psalm of a king. But not only is he describing what he wants for his kingdom, for his nation, but he's also describing what he wants for his own personal life. And he describes in verse 3 there that there are certain decisions and certain determinations that he has made about life and concerning his life. In fact, he describes in verse 3 how that he's taken certain steps in his life 
that serve as a preventive measure and a protective measure in his life. He said, now this is what I have determined in my life. This is the decision I have made in my life. And I have made this decision and made these determinations based upon certain things that could happen. Thus, I want to protect my life and to prevent these things from happening. So he talks about the matter of discipline his eyes or eyes that are disciplined. Now look at the verse. Let's break it down in two thoughts. I see, first of all, as I look at his words and what he had to say, I see a boundary that he applies. There's a boundary that he applies, or it's like he has put a boundary about his eyes and, yea, even his life. He said in verse 1 or verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. And that word set there is to place or uh, even to consider. What he's saying in verse 3 is that it's, it's almost like he's saying, I have put a boundary about my life. I have put a boundary about my life and I have made this decision. I will not cross that boundary. It's like he has drawn a line in the sand. And he said, it doesn't matter what happens in life. I'm not going to cross this line. He said, there's a boundary I put about my life and I don't care what anybody else does. I'm not going over this boundary. There's a line I have drawn in my life, and I don't care what anybody else does, what anybody thinks, how anybody thinks about it. I am not going to cross that line. Now, he's describing something that he has chosen to do and a decision that he's made in his life, and he said, I will not do this. I'll not set this thing before my eyes. I will not go across this boundary or outside this boundary or across this line because he's aware of the consequences that it would bring if he crossed that boundary or stepped across that line. For example, you notice the word wicked there in verse 3. He said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Now you see the word wicked there? It is a word that describes something that has no value. It is a word that speaks of that which is worthless, has no profit, and has no value whatsoever. And the extension of it is that which leads to wickedness or that which leads to destruction. Now, here's what the psalmist is saying. He said, I have drawn the line in the sand. I'm not going to cross this line. And there is a boundary that I put about my life, and I'm not going to cross that boundary. I don't care what the devil says. I don't care how much my flesh tempts me. I don't care what others are doing around me. Now, this is the boundary. This is as far as I go. I will not cross it. And the reason I will not cross this boundary or cross this line is because of the destruction that it brings. He said, now there's some, some things in life that have no value whatsoever. And there's some things in life that have no profit whatsoever. And these things, if I bring them into my life, they will destroy me. And he said, for that reason, I've drawn the line. I'm not going to cross it. I put this boundary about my life and I am not going to go over it. Sometimes the word wicked that is used here was a word that was used to speak of the things of Balaam or the things of Belial. And when it was used to speak of the things of Belial, it had the ideal of things that have their origin in Satan. Now here's what the writer is saying. There's some things that are from hell itself or there's some things from Satan himself that he wants to put into my life and things, if I allow them in my life, they will pull me down. And things that if I bring into my life or let become a part of my life, they will destroy me. And for that reason, I will not cross this border. 
of this boundary. I will not cross this line. Now Psalm 101 is again, is a king here now. What he's really saying in Psalm 101 in verse 3 is, now these are things I'm not going to let happen in my nation. These are things I'm not going to allow to exist in Israel. But not only is a king in a nation, but it's certain things in his life. And the point is this. He's saying there's some things that will pull me down, some things if I feed myself, and some things if I look upon, and some things if I allow to exist in my life, they will in time destroy me. Now he talks about his eyes here. Now he could talk about things that he saw. It could be things that he would read or things that he would watch, the eye gate going into the mind or in the heart and the emotions and whatever like that. But this is what he says. It doesn't matter what it is. He said, I am determined my eyes are going to be fixed and I am not going to allow something to get into my life that will destroy me. There's a line that I've drawn. Now he's not tearing away the freedoms of his life. And he's not putting a boundary about him that says he no longer has freedom. But what he's doing is building a wall that will protect him and to prevent the destruction of his life. And he says, no, this is as far as I go. This is my world. This is my decision. This is what I have decided to do. I am not going to be destroyed by the things I set before mine eyes. Are you listening to me carefully tonight? When it comes to the matter of living for God, there are some things that are wrong. And there are some things that we must say no to. Now, we live in a society anymore where we've just about made it where nothing is right, nothing is wrong. But I want you to understand tonight, there are some things that are right. And there are some things that are wrong. And there are certain things in our life that we have to make this decision, determination. No, they're not going to be a part of our life. And they're not going to exist in our life. If it be things we watch, see, hear, do, places we go, we have to draw the line and say, look, I won't do it. And I will not go past this line because I know that if I go past this line, I will fall. Now, the truth of the matter is, I know there's some tonight that may think you are God's spiritual Samson and nothing will ever bother you, but I want you to understand something. If you let, if you feed yourself certain things and you go certain places and you put yourself in certain situations, it will pull you down. I don't care how much you love God. And I don't care how strong you are spiritually. And I don't care how long you've been saved and how much you are trying to serve God. You put yourself in certain situations, it will pull you down. So somewhere in your life, you've got to draw the line and say, this is as far as I go. And here's a boundary, and I will not under any circumstance cross that boundary because I don't care how much this world pulls me to cross that boundary and how much my flesh draws me to cross that boundary. Here's the reason I'm not going to cross it. Because somewhere the very thing that pulls me away and gets me to cross the boundary is the very thing that will destroy me. So the first thing he talks about is there's a boundary. He said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. But there's something else in verse 3. He not only talks about a boundary that is applied here, but there's a behavior that he avoids. Look at the latter part of verse 3. You can't leave off the first part of verse 3 without looking at the latter part. He said, I hate in verse 3, I hate the work of them that turn aside. Another way of saying that statement there, he talked about I hate the work of them that turn aside. You could say it this way, I hate the practice of depravities. The word turn there is a word that talks about leading to depravity. And it talks about turning here a derelict, you might say. 
And what he's talking about is there are those that there are certain practices in life that are a depraved practice. And there are certain lifestyles that are depraved, certain lifestyles that are only marked by sin. And he says, listen to me. I have made put a boundary about my life. I will set no wicked thing before mine eye. And furthermore, I want you to understand, son, I hate the practices of, de of depravities. He said, I don't want anything to do with them. He's understanding there are certain forms of behavior that are depraved, and he is drawing this line in his life that he would not tolerate them in his life. He would not condone them in his life. He's got discipline eyes. Now, when it comes to this matter of giving our body to God, one of the things we all do is give our eyes to God and come to God and say, now here are my eyes. And I, God, I come before you, and as I come before you to give you my eyes, I come tonight to say, Lord, that I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I won't watch an Alabama football game. God, I will not put any wicked thing before my eyes. Can I get an amen there? That just come out of me. That was a spirit. And, uh, but he's saying, I will not allow anything in my life that could pull me down. It's like Proverbs 4.25 said, Let thine eyes look right on and let thine eyelids look straight before thee. He said, have a focus. And this is where you're going to go and this is what you're going to do. And there's a boundary there and you will not go outside that boundary. Discipline eyes. That's the kind of eyes you ought to give God. But look also in Psalm 25. Turn back a few more. And let me just point out a few things about not only discipline eyes, but what I would call devoted eyes. In Psalm 25, he not only talks about his eyes and how he was set nothing wicked before his eyes, but in Psalm 25, he talks about what is the focus of his eyes. In Psalm 25, notice verse 15. Look at this. He said, Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Now he's talking about the devotion of his eyes. One place, Psalm 101, he said, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. He's got disciplined eyes. He's determined, drawn the line in his life, said, this is as far as I go. He doesn't want anything in his life that would pull him down. And now he says in Psalm 25 that here is the focus of my life. I said in verse 15 there, he said, mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. His eyes are not on things that destroy him. But his eyes is on a person that delights him. He's not got his eyes on things that could pull him down. He's not got his eyes on the depravity and the practices of depravity in this world. No, he's got his eyes on the Lord. He's got his eyes on someone that will delight him and not something that will pull him down and destroy him. He's got devoted eyes. These are, this is the eyes are focused upon the Lord. Now what does this Devoted eyes. What is, what is he saying when he said, My eyes are ever toward the Lord? Well, for one thing, to me it speaks of eyes of affection. I don't remember if this is the title of the song, but I remember a song somewhere that said, I only have eyes for you. Sherry sings that to me every night before we go to bed. I only have eyes for you. Well, I can't help but think of that when I thought about what the psalmist said here. He said, Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord. It's like he said, My eyes, I only have eyes for you. He's talking about how much he loves the Lord. That the Lord is the one that he loves more than anything in his life. And he said, my eyes are ever toward you. I'm always looking in your direction. It is his eyes of affection. But not only eyes of affection, but second of all, eyes of adoration. For he said in the latter part of verse 15 there, he said, 
for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Now you read the context. He's going through a dark time in his life. And he says now in verse 15 there, he said, My eyes are ever toward you. And he said, For you shall pluck my feet out of the net. You'll be the one that will keep me from falling. They're not only eyes of affection, but they're eyes of adoration. And eyes of adoration, he just looks to the Lord and he said, Lord, my eyes are ever upon you. And it's because, Lord, of what you've meant to me. Lord, I've been in dark hours, but you've always been there. Lord, I've gone through difficult times, but you've always helped me. They're eyes of adoration. He's so infatuated with his Lord. He's so in love with his Lord. And he's so caught up with who he is and what he's done in his life that he's captivated with him. He is adoring him for who he is. Now I submit to you tonight, that's the kind of eyes God wants out of every one of us. He wants me to come and give him my eyes and say, Lord, as I give you my eyes, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. I'll put boundaries about my life and I won't allow anything across those boundaries. I will not cross those boundaries. Lord, I come to give you my eyes so that my eyes are ever toward you. Loving the Lord and caring for the Lord. I look in our, in our text that I read at the very beginning, Psalm 119. Not only do I believe that God wants us to give him disciplined eyes, and not only devoted eyes, but in Psalm 119, I believe God wants us to give him discerning eyes. We read it a moment ago. Psalm 119, notice verse 18. Psalm 119, verse 18. Here it is. I love this verse. He said, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. He has asked for disciplined eyes and devoted eyes, and now he asks for discerning eyes. He is asking in Psalm 119, verse 18, for eyes to understand the Word of God. He's asking God to make him a student of the Bible. He's asking God to help him to discern the truth of the Word of God. He wants to know what God is saying in His Word. He wants to know the Bible, and his prayer is for God to reveal His Word. The word open there simply means and speaks of a revelation. He is saying, God, reveal to me thy word. God, open mine eyes. That is, Lord, reveal to me thy word that I may behold wondrous things from the word of God. He wants to know the Bible. Now, I think about knowing the Bible. I think about a couple of stories. I think about one preacher and these, two, these couple boys, they wanted to play a joke on this preacher, so they got his Bible. And they glued the pages of his Bible together. They'd take two pages, pull them together, and glue them together. And so he got up to preach on Sunday morning, and he happened to be preaching from the book of Genesis, and he was preaching about Noah. So he turned in his Bible, and he opened the page there, and he began to read, And Noah, when he was 120 years old, took unto him a wife who was, and he turned the page, instead of turning the next page, it actually turned two pages over, and he continued to read who was, 300 cubits long and 50 cubits wide. Well, some of you hadn't read your Bible. You didn't catch that either. He stopped, went back and read it again. And he said, and Noah, when he was 120 years old, took unto him a wife who was 300 cubits long and 50 cubits wide. Well, he paused. He said, honestly, he said, I've read my Bible through hundreds and hundreds of times, but I've never read that before. But he said, it's in the Bible. Well, I want you to know when it comes to understanding the Bible, sometimes we don't have much better understanding than that. Like one pastor, he is fairly new in his church, and he dropped into a Sunday school class to see how they were being taught. So he asked one little boy, he said, Son, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? And this little boy named Timmy, he said, It wasn't me. Well, the pastor turned and looked at the teacher, 
And he said, is this the kind of teaching that you're giving to these children? And the teacher looked at him and said, now listen, preacher. He said, I know Timmy and I know his family. And if he said he didn't do it, he didn't do it. He doesn't lie. Well, that bothered the pastor. So he went to the deacons and he told me, he said, I can't believe it. And he told the answer. And finally, one of the deacons spoke and said, well, preacher, preacher, I don't see any point in making an issue out of this incident. He said, I'll make a motion. We pay for the damages and just write off for vandalism. Bible knowledge. Well, uh, there may be some that don't have much of a better Bible knowledge. But here's the psalmist. Now, here's what he says. He, first of all, in one of the verses he looked at, he said, I want my eyes to be disciplined. I don't want to set any wicked thing before my eyes. And he said, Lord, I want my eyes to be devoted. I want my eyes to be turned toward you. But now he says, Lord, I pray that you'd help me to understand the Word of God. Now, I believe that's the kind of eyes God wants you to give him. Eyes where you become a student of the Bible. Listen to me. Your Sunday school teacher should not be the only student of the Bible. And this preacher should not be the only student of the Bible. You as a believer should be a student. You ought to come before God and say, Now God, open my eyes. I want to behold wondrous things from thy law. Now notice how he studied. He's asking to be a student, wanting to learn. And you notice a couple of things about his study. For one, you see the manner of his study. For notice what he said in verse 18 again. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. Now when he says behold wondrous things, he's not just saying, now Lord, I just want to see good things. Just Lord, make them pop out and let me just see them and I'll thank you for it. No, the word behold there carries the idea of looking intently at something of scrutinizing something, of really... He's talking about the way he studies or the way he wants to study. He's saying, God, I want to behold. I want to look intently. I want to see through this matter. I want to really come to a grip of this matter, an understanding of what you are saying. That's the way that he studies. He's very intent and looks intently and very intense in the way that he studies. And I suggest you all do the same. But not only the manner of his study, but last of all, the motive of his study. Why does he, want, why does he pray that God will help him to understand? Because he wants to behold wondrous things from thy law. Now when we read that word wondrous, we think of good things. Man, I want God to help me see those good things that will bless me to death and whatever. And that would be involved in what he's saying here. But really when he talks about wondrous, the word that he uses here is a word that literally means to separate something, to divide something and to separate something. And it had carried the idea of something that was hidden or something that was hard to understand or to discern. And he wants to be able to separate that matter so that it becomes clear to him. That he's enlightened in the matter to separate that which is hard so that it's no longer hard to understand. Or separate that which is hidden so it's brought into the light. And he says, now Lord, this is my prayer. I want you to help me to understand the things of God. Hard things of God. The hidden things of God. Through the years, I've had the opportunity of being around a lot of preachers. And there's some preachers that I hear when I listen to them, I just sat there with my mouth open. And I just sat there absolutely dumbfounded. And I think to myself, how in the world did they see all that? And they just, I mean, amazed me. They'll take a passage of Scripture that I've gone through dozens and dozens of times before, and they'll pull out things there that just leaves me breathless. 
And how is it that a person is able to do that? Are able to do that? I'll tell you what it is. It's because God gives them eyes to see the hidden things. And God opens their ability and gives them divine discernment to understand the Word of God. Now, here's one thing I want you to understand about this Bible. The only way you'll ever understand this Bible is if the author of this Bible tells you what it means. And the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. And the Spirit of God wrote this book. And the Spirit of God is one that will teach this book to you. And it's like John talks about it. He had no need that man teach him. He's not saying that we're not to be teachers. But he's talking about a blessed anointing that the Spirit of God becomes a teacher in your life. And He has the ability to teach you. Man can teach you something, but where did they learn? Somewhere, somebody come before God and said, Open thou mine eyes that I may hold wondrous things from thy law. Lord, teach me. And help me to understand the Word of God. Now, I want to say to you tonight, every one of you in this room ought to be a Bible student. Everybody here ought to be someone that is able to take the Word of God and get in the Word of God and to intently, intently look in the Word of God and to behold wondrous things from the Bible. God wants you to give you that, that's that kind of knowledge. So you come before God, you ought to come before God with this prayer. Lord, I want my eyes. I give you my eyes because I want to understand your Bible. Lord, here's your word to me. And the only way I'm ever going to know what you want to do in my life is if you tell me from your word. And the only way I'm ever going to know you like you want me to know you is from the word of God. You speak to me through the word. You teach me about yourself through the word. You enlighten me through the word. You guide me through the word. You uh, direct me through the word of God. So you ought to come and say, God, I give you my eyes. Now I ask you tonight, you ought to give your bodies to the Lord. Give your hands to the Lord. Give your feet to the Lord. Give your eyes to the Lord. Have you done that? Look at your prayer sheet. Look at this, and we'll come in a moment and ask the Spirit of God and give God our eyes. Our missionary of the week is Ted and Lynn Mullins, serving the Lord in Papua New Guinea. And this is a great missionary couple, and one we're certainly proud of to support here at Temple. And they're serving the Lord in Papua New Guinea. Their prayer letters are always a blessing. We want to remember the Mullins family tonight. Our church of the week, we want to pray for our prodigal. And that's for Brother Brian and Glen Fort Baptist Temple in Glen Fort, West Virginia. And anybody out of the will of God like Brian, you know, needs our prayers. So let's pray for Brian tonight and lift him up. We're excited about God opening the door for him, and he's excited. And let's pray tonight for Glen Fort Baptist Temple in Glen Fort, West Virginia. And then in the hospital, we'll, of course, continue to pray for Mrs. Lowry. And also Mary Coppett's daughter had uh, surgery this week. They had to remove a kidney, I believe it was. Sandra Frills, so we'll remember her. She's in intensive care at Erlanger Hospital. And then um, RJ's telling me Bobby's having some tests tomorrow, so let's remember Bobby. All of you will. Let's just come, gather around the altar and do three things. Three things we do every Wednesday night. One, we pray for our missionary of the week. Two, we pray for our church of the week. And thirdly, we ask God to put into our hearts the word we've heard. And I want you to come tonight. I want you to give God your eyes. Say, Lord, I want to give you my eyes. You want me to give you my body. My eyes is a member of my body, and I want to give you my eyes. So will you do that tonight? Just, let's just give it to the Lord. And ask God to give you a vision for what He can do through you. Just give Him your eyes. There are many, many other verses. Talks about our eyes. John 4 thought about uh, focusing on for a moment tonight. Lift up your eyes upon the fields that are white in the harvest. So, so many of them, so many of them. But give God your eyes. Let's pray tonight. 
Our Father, in Jesus' name, we come for these three specific reasons. We come, Lord, one, to pray for our missionary of the week, the Mullins family. Thank you for the work of God you are doing through them in Papua New Guinea. And I pray, Lord, you bless your work there and bless your servant there. Meet every need. Open hearts to the gospel. Bless Brother Ted. Take care of him physically. Meet every need that he has. But, Lord, bless him and his work and the work they're doing there. We do pray tonight, Lord, for Brother Brian. We thank you, Lord, for him, the years of service that he gave us. And we thank you for the opportunity you've given him and the work you have put him into. And I know, Lord, this church will always be a part of whatever God does up there for the many, many things this church put into life, Brother Brian. But bless him and Lisa. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bless Glen Fort Baptist Temple, that you bless that church. I pray, dear God, that it'll grow. I pray, dear God, that it'll prosper. Lord, use it in that neighborhood there and to win others to the Lord. But God, I pray you'd do great and mighty things. I pray, Lord, that you bless it. It's present far greater than any past it's had. We just do something special there and for Brother Brian and Lisa and the church. And I pray you just work. Then, God, as we come to you tonight, we want to give you our eyes. We want to give you our eyes like the psalmist spoke of his eyes. That, Lord, we'll discipline our eyes. That we'll, Lord, focus upon you. That you'll become the passion of our life, the affection of our life the adoration of our life. Lord, just let us, that our eyes ever turn toward you. And then, Father, I pray you would tonight give us eyes to discern your word and eyes to understand the mind of God is revealed in the word of God. So, Lord, help us to learn more from your word. Even when we come here, let it always be a growing process. And, Lord, when we leave here, every service, Lord, may we go home knowing a little bit more about what God said in his word in the passage we looked at. So, Father, just help us to grow and help us to have a love for your word. So, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from thy law. Pray, Lord, now for Sunday that the hand of God would be upon it. And you'll touch and anoint and move in a very special way. Bless our faith teams as they go out tomorrow night. And I pray that you'll open hearts as we go out to share the gospel. And I pray, Lord, that we'll have the opportunity of being able to share the gospel and then to be able to lead someone to Christ. So empower our faith teams as they go out tomorrow night. And all the things that are going on in the weekend, bless them now in the name of Jesus. And for Jesus' sake, we ask these things. Amen. Are you glad you came tonight? Say amen. I thought about Joe when he mentioned, hinted around about being on the faith team. We have six faith teams this semester. In our third semester of faith, there will be eight, faith teams as our learners become leaders and when he said that I thought that I know 18 people that's already wrote Joe's name down amen and I hope many of you will do that let's all stand on our feet our golden agers are in the morning I'll be with you in the morning so golden agers plan on that and we'll get together tomorrow and also this coming weekend I am going to be in Memphis Tennessee dedicating the Graceland uh, Museum out there to the Lord and uh, no, I, I take a spring, a Sunday in the spring and one in the fall to begin a meeting. And I'm going to be in East Hill Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, beginning Sunday. Terry is going to be preaching Sunday, so you'll get a blessing out of that. But I want you to be here. Come expecting the Lord to bless. Be praying for me as well. 
and uh, the work there. You're dismissed. Shake hands and fellowship as you leave and let our visitors know how glad we are to have them tonight.